Conspiracy, Fears, and Mysteries, CFM Podcast, and your boy Ralphie. What's going on? How's everybody doing? What's going on, man? What is that humming sound that I'm getting? Okay, I found the source of the humming, and I believe the humming has stopped. Hopefully it has. But anyway, how's everybody doing, man? How are we doing this week, today, this week? I don't know when I'm uploading this. But um, I know I'm supposed to do, uh, I was supposed to do more of the Missing 411, but let me tell you what happened. Um, I, I, I got kind of like, I got, I went into like a fuck it mode <laughs> when, because was I was, and I was researching the cases, like there's not like after watching, if you go and watch the 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 documentaries missing on the missing 411 uh, both I, I watched two and there's other things on youtube but if you watch the main documentaries of it um it's that's pretty much all the information that's out like i couldn't find more details enough to warrant just a bunch of more episodes you know what i'm saying so it was like ah okay, you know that's it. I'm not gonna do more episodes. It, it, like I couldn't find more, so I was like, "Nah, that's not. That's not. That's that's not." So I wanted to talk about this because I did. I was gonna do a YouTube video on it, and I was like, "Nah, let me." You know what? I'm not doing a YouTube on these things, man. There's too many of those spooky YouTube channels. I don't want. I had one, and it was like a lot of work. I got a lot of things I'm doing with school and everything. I don't have time for that. I do. I did start a channel. Um about military stuff just you know talking about if you want you know just giving advice if you want to get in the military and va and all that stuff so i'm I'm still putting that together you go check that out too when i get it <laughs> the name for it i'm gonna let you know but i did the first video today that's just the way i work okay but today we're gonna talk about something different man or a different case and it's a case from back in the i would say the early mid um mid early early mid whatever 1900s and it's the papine the papin sisters or the papine sisters and this is one of those cases you haven't heard too much of uh there may be one or two videos maybe of them on the on youtube but there aren't and and of course you know the the articles that i found about them um but you don't hear about that too much as far as in the um at least I haven't, you know, as far as in the, in you know, in the mainstream crime circle that we're in, you know, the uh, true crime circle, I guess. And I guess because it's so far back, but that's but no, that's that can't be a reason because we do hear about a lot of these uh, incidences, the, the, these true crimes and these murders that had happened way back when. So. Let's talk about the Papine sisters, man. Let's just get right into it. So as not to make this that long because I do got to get some sleep because I work at night. All right. So the pants, the Papine sisters, and this is the, I'm, I'm going to read you some of my research notes that I wrote the roads, uh, the roads, <laughs> the notes that I wrote here. So the Papine sisters were uh, a pair of sisters uh, from the early, early 1900s. Uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. They were born out in 1800s, late 1800s. And um, by the early 1900s, they were already in their young teenage years. Uh, there are two sisters that came from a very 
dysfunctional family. You could say, you know, it was the kind of, and I hate to say it, but it was kind of the, you know, the, uh, you know, the typical abusive family where the dad and the mom didn't get along. He abused the mom. He, there was also some talks. I think they were, they were also molested, uh, by their, by their father, uh, you know, throughout the years, uh, as they were growing up and, and it was just, and it was just them too. It was just, it was just those two, uh, it was just those two sisters. It was Leia and, um, and, uh, Christine Papine, Leia and Christine Papine. It was those, those two sisters. Now the sisters grew up obviously with their parent, um, after a while, during their teenage years, their parents got a divorce. They went and got divorced. And as you know, with divorce, um, when it comes to children and the parents get a divorce, sometimes that's hard on, on the on the child. Like when my parents got divorced, I was very young. I was I was a baby, so I really didn't it really didn't do anything to me. I, I it, you know to me it was nothing. I I grew up knowing they were divorced, but you know I had a lot of support throughout the way. You know my grandparents and and you know my mom and I still saw my dad occasionally. Uh, you know, so it wasn't that intense for me. And my dad and my mom still maintain a good relationship, even to this day. When she goes back, she still speaks to him. They you know they sit down, have coffee and stuff like that. Um, with with my grandparents and everything. So for for me, for example, it was different. But for a lot of people, um, especially with kids that grew up with their parents, you got to understand uh, when you grow up with the parents to get divorced at, after a certain stage, when those kids are at a certain age, it's very it could be very hard on the kids, especially if you don't sit down and talk to them. If you, um, you know, a lot of divorces are are nasty. A lot of them are nasty, you know, it's, uh, oh, the parents going to take this and, uh, you know, you have custody battles and the parents are arguing about stuff. There are certain ones that are very civil where the parents will will uh, sit and talk. I've seen it where they talk with the children. Hey, look, you know, me and your mom, when we're, you know, we've had we have differences and, you know, we think that it's better if we just split. We're still we still love you. Yada, yada. We're still going to see you. This, that and the third, all that good loving stuff. But we're getting divorced. And the kids kind of understand. Um, some people take it to the next level when they go through therapy. Well, these girls didn't. That's not what happened here. It was totally different. There was also molestation going on. A lot of, you know, all that negative stuff going on with these girls. So these girls, all they had were each other. Christine and Leah, all they had was uh, were each other. Christine being the older one and Leah being the... Um, I call it Leia because of Star Wars. Leah being the the younger sister. I believe that's how it is. But anyway, so they were sent off to a mental institution. Uh I don't know if they meant a psycho like a uh therapeutic institution, but they got sent off to a mental institution. Now in the nineteen twenties, we all know in those time early nineteen hundreds, mental institutions were mental inst they were horror houses. Okay. They were doing all kinds of crazy things. I it didn't say what happened to them in there, but it did say that the psychologist knew that that divorce played a big role in their psyche, in their mental health. You know, uh, they also what played a big role was the fact that they were abused. And, you know, they were abused and molested. That played a huge role. I'm more, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm more than sure that those girls having their innocence taken from them, any child, 
would plays a negative role, especially if you don't get help. So I don't think they got the help they need, obviously, in that mental health uh, institute that they were in or institution that they were in. So fast forward, the girls get released about in the early 1920s, early 19, early, early 1900s. And uh, they, they're very close. Um, they, while they were in the institution, they noticed that these girls were beyond normal or not as normal, I guess. Like, and like I just said, obviously because of their whole situation, but they were so close to each other. They could not be apart. They didn't speak to anybody. They really, they kind of, they were very, very reclusive. They kept together. They didn't speak to anyone. So the girls, um, in the 19, early 1900s, like I was saying, got out of the institution. They were let out. They were like, all right, they're going to go out. They learned, um, just regular discipline, you know, uh, you know, like regular, not regular, but they learned, um, you know, how to clean and, you know, things like that. Like, uh, what they call that home ec stuff, you know, cleaning houses and, and things like that. So they were able to get that kind of employment, right? Uh, they got that kind of employment and they, um, what do you call it? They, they went out and throughout those years worked for various different families. Now in that time, it was very normal for people to have servants, not just, it wasn't just the super rich, I guess the middle class could afford one servant, but the super rich got two, three, whatever. Um, it, it was kind of normal to have, to have servants. Uh, so they worked for different families throughout the early 1900s, and they were, you know, cleaning houses and things like that. And everything was fairly normal uh, throughout that throughout that time. Um, you know, they they were just regular regular servants. So they went from different family to different family throughout the years. And in 1926, uh, in 1926, that's when they they went ahead and. And they met a, or they got work with a with a family uh, named the Le, the Lancelins, Lancelins, L A N C E L I N. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm sorry if I'm not. And um, Renee Lancelin, who was the patriarch of the family, or the the dad, the head guy, whatever, he was a retired businessman of some sort. And he lived in the town of Le Mans. If you're not familiar with Le Mans, maybe you're familiar with the with the you know Le Mans racetrack or Le Mans racing. If you if you've ever heard of that, um, but they do a lot of racing over there. And um, and in the house lived his wife and his daughter. He had another daughter, but his that other daughter uh, had since already moved out with her husband. The his other daughter was also an adult. I think she was in her twenties or something. Maybe early twenties. They didn't say exactly how old she was, but um, she was already an adult. Now, with as far as the the Papin sisters, whenever they got hired to go do a job, they were always worked. They always worked. Uh, you know, um, not solo or you know together. I don't know why I said not solo, but together. <laughs> so they were never solo. Uh, they were always together. If if you hired one, you had to hire the other one. That was their caveat. Like, okay, we'll clean your house, we'll do, we'll be your servant, but you gotta hire both of us. 
You know what I mean? So they came as a pair. You know what I mean? So they didn't do anything outside. So in the in 1926, they were hired by Rene Lancelin. Lancelin. Hope I'm saying that right. And they worked for him without any incidents for a number of years. Uh, you know, clean his house, do whatever, all that stuff. The thing was, in that time, uh, this is this was their schedule. And I found this very, like, messed up. Very messed up. Like, their schedule was, they worked, was it 14-hour days? I think 14-hour days. Um, and they only had a half day off a week. So they worked six and a half days. You know what I mean? So six and a half days, they worked and a half day off for themselves. You know what I mean? Like not two days off. You know, now you'll see maids, you know, I've seen, or I don't know if they call them maids anymore, but you'll see house workers that they'll work like maybe three days out of the week, you know what I mean? And they'll work two days out of the week in another house and then they got the other two days off, you know? And, and even, and when they work in the house, it's not like the whole day, you know, they have those that do work the whole day. They have those that are living, uh, like over here we have, uh, the, the, uh, what are they called? Um, the, the seagulls or are a very rich family, uh, David Siegel and all them. And they have a living nanny. She practically, uh, this Filipino lady, and she practically raised their kids. Like they, I swear their kids treat that lady more of a mom than their real mom. Cause their mom is always one of those, you know, uh, I'm doing Botox parties and going out and, and not really being with the kids. I, I, I worked for them. I've done videos for them and things and I've seen how they are. So, and I used to work at one of their resorts. So I know, I, I know the family, but anyway, um, these girls worked a lot. They worked and they worked together. And that's how the working class was in the 1920s over there, at least in France. I'm, it was, it may have been like that here. I don't know. I'm not sure, but that's how working class was. So they, I mean, the, the lower, they were considered the lower class or whatever. So, uh, they worked with them for seven years with no incident. You know, that was, that was until the night of February 2nd, 1933. Now, February 2nd, 1933, Rene was supposed to meet his wife for a dinner date with friends. And he noticed that his wife was late to meet them where they were supposed to meet with their friends for their dinner date, which was very unusual for his wife, uh, especially with those aristocratic type people, they were, oh, we must be here, you know. <laughs> so it was weird that his wife wasn't there. It's like, ah, that's not that's not like my wife. She's, you know, especially when it comes to you know social things like this. So Rene went home. He went back home to look for his wife, uh, since this wasn't normal for him. He was like, what's going on? Something, you know. Let me go look for her. Well, when Rene approached his house. He immediately noticed that things didn't look normal. The lights were all off in the house. The doors were all locked. And there was only one candlelight coming from the maid's quarters. Now, Renee, which I I found this strange because usually people do dumb. Listen, 
people and I'm I'm going to say it. I know people are going to get upset, but people I you know we hear all these true crime stories, you watch all these you know true crime shows and I know that a lot of you have said when things happen like why'd you do that even in movies why'd you go in there why'd you do that why didn't you just do this what did you and there's certain things that i'm like why are they doing this why did they do that if it feels bad it normally is bad don't like do the do whatever your body your conscious or your body's is telling you when it comes to those situations normally your body's like hey man I don't think I want. I don't think this is the right move. Let's go do. Let's let's do this. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Well, in this, this is one of those cases right here. Renee, being a cautious person, he didn't enter the house. He didn't go inside. He didn't go in. He wasn't like, wait, this is weird. You know what I'm saying? L- let me go inside and investigate. He didn't. He didn't do that. He said, "Huh? Let me go get the police, man. Let them go in and tell me what's going on." I understand it's his family. I understand that, and I get it. You know, it's a different situation when it's your, you know, your family, especially if, in, especially if it's your kids. You might just, hey, f- fuck this, I'm going in. You know what I'm saying? I'm going in. This is my kid. You know, but you know, the mission dictates, like I always say, the situation dictates. In this situation, he felt like, well, my wife is supposed to, wasn't supposed to be home at this time. Maybe she isn't home, and something else is going on. So let me get the police. Let me get the police. Hopefully, it has nothing to do with my wife. Hopefully, she's out, but something's just going on with my house. You know, so he got the police. Now, when the police entered the house, they were confronted with a horrible, horrible and sinister scene. Horrible scene. The wife and the daughter of Renee, Renee Lanslin, were found slaughtered in the most horrific way you could think of. Like, I mean, I mean, not, probably not the most you've seen, or, but in a very, very, very horrible way, very horrific way. Um, their eyes were gouged out of their faces, and um, and oh uh, yeah, their face, and their faces were smashed to the point where you couldn't even recognize them. You didn't know who it was if you. They didn't know the house or anything, and you just saw that that body. You'd be like, I don't. There's no way I could tell who this is. You know, um, it was so bad that Jacques Laban, who was a French psychiatrist, described the scene as an orgy of blood. He expressed vividly the intensity of these murders. The intensity, because it doesn't matter if it's if they murdered ten people or one person. It when you can see the intent, how much hatred it was, or the intensity, or how deep this goes, just by looking at the at the body, what was done. Normally, when it's just like, oh, this person got shot, you know, once or twice, that's normally like a robbery. You got shot once, and normally in robberies, you don't get shot. Normally in robberies, you don't get bludgeoned to the point where they don't recognize you. You know, um, if it's just like a home invasion or something. And even, even, uh, even most serial killers is just like, it's a a different style. It's a different, you know, it's a different, it's kind of, it's kind of different. Yeah, you have some that have done the bludgeoning, but, you know, it's kind of different. It's different. 
Um, so police went and they found the sisters in the maid's quarters and they were, get this, laying naked on the bed. Now, the confession by the sisters was almost instantaneous. Like maybe they were probably in there for like minutes. And they were like, hey, you know, they asked him, hey, what the hell? Like, I mean, I'm sure if you find two people alive in there, you're going to ask what happened here. And you're a cop. They asked him what happened here. And they were like, we killed these two people. We killed them both. And they showed no trace of remorse. They showed no remorse at all. No, I'm sorry. I'm this, that, nothing. They didn't show anything. So police were able to collect the murder weapons immediately, immediately, which were a kitchen knife, a hammer, and a pewter pot. Um, Actually, I don't even know what a pewter pot is. Let me hold. Give me one sec. And uh, just like I suspected, a pewter pot is (laughs) I just looked it up. A pewter pot is um, is uh, those old. Old school metal, and, and from the looks of them, I mean, you know, those old school stuff was very durable. Like, very, you know, it's not like the stuff now that if you don't use it in a year, it, like, disintegrates. It turns into nothing. But the uh, they were, like, metal, like, metals, sometimes thin metal, but most, they look heavy. And, like, you make tea and you heat up water in them, you know. It's just old school pots, those old school pots, which... I can see they were probably heavy and enough to, you know, hit someone with. So, um, you know, they, they, they caught, they caught these sisters, they caught them, they put them in, you know, uh, they put them in separate prisons. They put them in separate prisons. And this caused, Christine, which is the older sister, to become extremely distressed. Um, as it was, it was obvious that the sisters' only comfort in in the world was with each other, was each other's company. That was the way that you know they felt comfortable. And at at one point, the sisters were allowed to see each other. And on the day that they were allowed to see each other, Christine threw herself into her sister's arms. And by the ways by the ways that the sisters spoke to each other, it was thought that maybe there may have been a sexual relationship between them, but that was never fully confirmed. Um, actually, some people said no, nah, no. Nah, nah, nah. Some doctors said no. Nah, I I don't think there was any sexual relationship. Too. There there was nothing. Some doctors had like differing opinions, and when it comes to psychology, uh you know, to psychological stuff, that's, um, it's very, it's a very broad, uh, it's very open, uh, when it comes, like, uh, to physical medicine, it's, it's a little bit more, a little bit more to the point, because it's a little more like it is what it is, like, if you have a cut, you have a cut, and if it gets infected, or it's infected, it's infected, you know, like, hey, look, it's now what type of infection may, may be different, but it's infected, when it comes to, uh psychology we don't know enough even today we don't and we're not like we don't know even though we're f- 
I guess, far in psychology right now. You know, we're further, obviously, than 1926, but we don't know enough to to make, like, these conclusions of, like, okay, yeah, that's it, that's it. You know, and they're going off of, off of uh, just like different clues. So one might see it, one doctor might see it one way, the other doctor might see it another way, bottom line. But some of them said just because of the way they spoke to each other, hell, they were found in the bed naked. Um, you know, so, you know, they're like, okay, these girls might have a sexual relationship, which you can understand, which is understandable to think that because these girls, it was almost impossible for them to even... Yeah, I think impossible for them to hang out with anybody, be outside with anybody, have friends, you know, nevertheless meet a man or whatever they were. I don't know if they were into women, but you know what I'm saying? To have that that love relationship after they grew up seeing what they were seeing, you know what I'm saying? How they grew up to to them, a relationship, you know, mother and father and whatever was horrible. So I could see how they would be kind of, you know deterred from that after seeing that that's horrible they have a trauma in their life that showed them hey this is horrible don't get into this you know this is not what you want you know so it's possible it's possible i'm not a psychiatrist or a doctor but it's possible that you know that they're like okay we find comfort in each other now um Christina, the older one, she suffered a fit of insanity just a few months later she attempted to gouge out her own eyes which says a lot. The victims were found with get with their eyes gouged out. So there's something there. Um, and um, this she she failed to hurt herself really because she was a, she was able to be subdued and put into a straitjacket. And she stated that that she went into the same psychological fit of insanity when the murders happened. So she like the same thing happened. And then, then it was determined that Christine was kind of the mastermind of the whole thing. And the case became super famous throughout France and the public was glued to this story. You know, even, you know, when a case like this, you know, it's going to be like, you know, it's like the John Benet Ramsey and the, I guess the Ted Bundy and the, you know, the Menendez brothers, O.J. Simpson cases, you know, things like that, that attract a lot of attention just because of the brutality of it. The the people that got killed were rich people. You know, it's it's always something to that matter. Or, or not that matter, but that nature, sorry. So, um the the case attracted the interest of uh intelligence in Intelligentsia of the time. The intelligentsia, or intelligentsia, or spelled it's intelligentsia, but I'm saying it in Spanish because that's how I'm reading it. Um, the intelligentsia was like a a a status a status class of educated people that were engaged in. And this is the uh, what do you call it? The definition: a status class of educated people that were engaged. In the complex mental labors that critique, guide, and lead in shaping the culture and the politics of their society. So I guess they were like the, I don't know, 
at the Antifa of, of of that, I guess. I don't know. They were like the status class of educated people. I, I don't know if Antifa is educated like that. I've seen what they're doing, but I don't want to get into politics here. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Antifa is either, but I don't know about that. But it's I, I guess they're like some kind of movement or something like that. That's what I that's what it looked like because I, I looked it up and it just gave me like, you know, these definitions. Uh so th- these intelligentsia, they argued that the murders were a manifestation of the class struggle. You know, as the 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 girls represented the working class people, the people that had work for a lot, for everything. Um they rebelled against their masters. I hate that they call them masters, but they rebelled against their masters. And I mean, it is what it is. That's what they used to call them. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna cry about it. They can't call them masters. No, that's what it is. It is what it is. They called them masters. Um, the so this reflected the poor conditions under which the people who worked as servants um, to to the rich lived. We, I mean. Six and a half days of work, 14, what, 14, 16 hour days with half a day off on one of the, you know, a, a week is like ridiculous, you know, and, and then to top it off, you got, but, you know, in this situation, in this situation, you know, you got to think to yourself, okay, let's just say, let's just say it wasn't like that. Let's just say they worked. Let's say they worked five days a week. They had two days completely off. Would they have gone out? Could they have still murdered these people? Yeah. Would they have gone out and murdered other people maybe? Yeah. Or could would that have been enough to let them go out on those two days and kind of see if they can spread their wings and meet other people and make friends and kind of socialize and maybe that would help them a little bit if they met nice people? Maybe. Yeah. Anything's possible, right? So, um, so anyway, the uh, the guy I mentioned before, J- J- Jackus Lake, whatever his name, the one of the psychiatrists, <laughs> made a study following this thesis that um, in which he which he analyzed the sisters and their odd relationships he analyzed it um so and you know he he wrote a thesis about a book whatever um i don't know the name of the book it didn't tell me or anything like that but he analyzed their relationship and made some psychological uh some psychological conclusions as psychologist makes so anyway Fast forward, and uh, there's a big crowd outside of the courtroom in 1933, uh, um, you know, uh, awaiting the the verdict of the Papine sisters. And it was concluded that Christine was the mastermind, the older one. She was the mastermind behind the murders, and that the cause of the crime was a petty feud between Madame Lancelin and her. There was a feud about something. They argued about something. I don't know what the argument was about. Maybe that that how much? I don't know why I feel like the argument was about that pewter pot. 
was something about, you know, maybe her heating up some water for tea or something. You know what I mean? Only because that was one of the murder weapons. And, you know, I doubt they were arguing about a knife. I didn't know where I, you know what I mean? I don't know. Whatever. I, that's just me. Um, so they had a, they had an argument and they, and they, and you know, that's, that's what happened. They, they killed her. That's what the court found out. That's what the court was saying. That's what they concluded. The court also concluded that Le- Leah, the younger of the two was completely consumed by her sister. So her sister, so Leah was like, she was, if it was up to her, she wouldn't have done it. She probably wouldn't, they, w- this wouldn't have happened, whatever. And it was to the point that her pet, her personality was nothing more than a mere extension of Christine. So Christine was a big influence on Leah, big influence on Leah, Leah, however you want to say, L-E-A, big influence. Um, it was one of those things where she looked up to her sister, blah, 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 this, then the third. And, you know, her sister's psychotic breakdown, influ- you know, was a big thing for her. Um, so, and let me read you this that I found one of the, while I was investigating, said the facts about the history of mental illness in the family, as well as the violent father figure were taken into consideration. Nevertheless, Christine was sentenced to death and her sister received a reduced sentence, Leah, due to her position as an accomplice. Christine's sentence was sentence was then changed to life imprisonment. Um, you, it, it's it's harder to put a woman on death row. Like when when women when women commit these crimes, yeah, there have been women that have been on death row and have been and have been you know all through it, killed, whatever. But if you do your homework and you research, a lot a lot of the women that get put through death row and get that sentence reduced to life. They they don't put them to death. I don't know why, uh, but they don't put them to death. You'll see a lot more men go through it. Like, hey, nah, we're not gonna take the death the death penalty off for 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 men. I don't know. I men do commit more of these crimes, but um, they always not always, but most of the time, if you they're gonna pardon somebody, it's gonna be a woman. It's not gonna be a man. Um. So anyway, she was sentenced to she was sentenced to death, but then they pardoned it. Um, soon she became, she became extremely, extremely depressed. She refused to eat and showed occasional fits of madness. So she would go crazy occasionally. She couldn't cope with being separated from her sister as the two seemed to be functioning with one personality. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't differentiate. Like you couldn't say, oh, this is this sister. Um, this is this sister. You know what I mean? Uh, so Christine Pepin slowly wasted away and she died in 1937. Leah was released from prison in 1941 and she moved in with her alienated mother with her, with her, she moved back in with mom. And according to some sources, Leah managed to obtain a job in a hotel in Nantes using a fake identity. Um, um, and it was believed that she had died in 1982. You know, after you have the years, she she made it all the way to 1982. Uh, but this came into question in 2000 when a documentary filmmaker called Claude Ventura claimed that she was alive. She is shown in the film In Search of the Papin Sisters, which was directed by him, where she can be seen partly uh, 
partly paralyzed due to a stroke and suffered uh that that she suffered before they shot the the film and the the stroke left her speechless as, as well which only adds to her mis- to her mysterious persona and echoes the crime that reached out from the depths of the troubled mind but um one thing i forgot to mention uh let's go back to when they were inside of that institution is that the people in the institution that worked, they say that the sisters, the sisters had this, uh, like this, like real creepy gaze to them, you know, real creepy gaze to them. Now, this brings me, uh, real quick before we end this, this is the end of the podcast, but this brings me to, uh, something there's there has there have been situations where brothers or sisters or you know siblings but uh normally in twins you'll see this but they when they get together um something happens mentally i don't know what it is there was the, another case more recent it was uh and it was in europe also i don't know what's going on over there um but <laughs> Um, I can't remember the name of the sisters. It was two sisters, and they were. I think they were. I don't know if they were twins. I don't know if they were twins. They may have been twins, or maybe a few years apart. I remember two blind women. I remember in uh, maybe in England. I think it was England or Norway or one of those. It was something I can't remember, and I should, and uh. Man, and but they're on video. They're on video going crazy. Like I think she's like they're on they're on CCTV shown where they go crazy. They run into into traffic, and I'm talking about not into a regular street. They run into the highway. They run right into the highway, and I'm talking about police video where the police are there, and one of them just takes off, runs into the highway like nothing. Like I don't care, and um. You know when when they're apart when they were apart, they they're still alive today. Um, and I mean, you can see the videos on on uh, on YouTube. I can't just Google crazy blondes sisters in Europe running to highway, and I'm sure you'll find it. I can't remember the name of them, and I wish I would have put them so I could get the name of this. But you gotta see they they when they're apart. They're normal. They're when they're married, kids, blah, blah, blah. But they put them together and they go crazy. Like, literally, they, they, they do off the wall. Like, even their gaze changes, the way they look change. Like, it's crazy. It's fucking scary, man. <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, they share one possession. I don't understand, man. It's crazy. You know, I. I don't understand, and I and I I'm, I'm, I'm I should look more into that. Maybe do a podcast about that. I don't know, but anyway, that's it, man. The Popping Sisters, man. That's all we got for this week. And I should have gave you uh, should have gave you a trigger warning, but I I hate it's a true crime. It's I mean it's conspiracy, fears, and mysteries, bro. You know what I'm saying? Do I got to give you a trigger warning for everything? I hate that. I, don't give me a trigger warning. You don't got. You know what I'm saying? Most of the people going to listen to that. Listen to this are grown people. I'm a, and you know, if you're going to look, if you're going to go listen to true crime, look at a horror movie, you're going to watch something that you know is going to have something with blood, people dying, something 
with true crime and anything. It could be the most vile things, man. That's our, your 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 trigger warning is true crime. As soon as it says true crime, trigger warning. That's it. That's it. Nobody should give you your grown ass person a trigger warning. Eighteen or buzz. You know what I mean? If you're if you're if you're a child, you should not be. <laughs> only children should get trigger warnings. Okay, I, I I think you should not be listening. Probably true crime. Um, but then I'm being a hypocrite because I was watching Unsolved Mysteries when I was a young child. I was think I was ten years old when I saw the first one. Um, I saw my first true crime case when I was probably eight. Uh, but I started watching Unsolved Mysteries to scare the shit out of me. I used to watch it by myself. My mom, I remember she was, I think she was, she was in college and she was a waitress at the same time. She worked in a diner and she was out most of the time. The neighbor across the street used to watch me. Um, I used to stay with her for a little bit, but then when I got older, my mom used to leave me in the house, but the neighbor still just kind of used to watch me. She would come from across the street, but I'd be watching Unsolved Mysteries, scaring the shit out of myself. And after that, I'd have to find a cartoon to put in the VCR. Yes, the VCR. I grew up in the 80s. I'm 40 years old. Um, and... <laughs> Cause it was to scare the shit out of me. I used to have to put like the Lamb Before Time or something, or I don't know some other cartoon, some kind of Bugs Bunny after that song. Unsolved Mysteries, the the original one, scared the shit out of me, man. And I and I couldn't stop watching it. And that's where I got into all the true crime and conspiracies and all the you know paranormal shit and all that. Oh man, it's crazy. But anyway, man. It's time to go. It's time to say goodbye. And as always, don't forget to like and subscribe. Follow me on social media, man. And I'll see you on the next smoke. <laughs>